Welcome to Beyond the Benchmark, EFG's regular podcast. I'm Daniel Murray. I'm the Deputy CIO and Global Head of Research, and I'm very pleased to have with me today my uh, old friend and colleague, Jerome Bursay. Jerome and I have been working together for, I think it's over 15 years now, so quite a long time. And uh, Jerome has been working in the hedge fund world for over 20 years, got a very long history, and I thought it'd be really interesting to have him with us to discuss the risks and the opportunities and the outlook for hedge funds and the alternative space more broadly. Uh, Jerome, has, uh, as I say, he's, he's got a master's in econometrics, got a very long history of working with hedge funds and what Jerome doesn't know about hedge funds probably isn't worth knowing. Um, he is the manager of our Newcastle Weather Fund and also the multi-hedge focus fund. Uh, so perhaps just ask, uh, you know, Jerome, Perhaps you could give us a, a brief overview of your career to date and how you got to be where you are. Thank you, thank you, Daniel, and uh, you know, very happy to to be here with you today and to participate to this podcast. Um, yes, yeah, so as as you said, I started my career uh, back in '98. Uh, after finishing my second master's in uh, in London, I came back to Switzerland. Um, didn't really know uh, what to do. I guess like everyone else uh, after after the. Uh, the studies. Actually, I wanted to do a PhD, uh, to be honest with uh, with you. Uh, uh, but you know, came back, came back in Switzerland. Uh, the cost of living in London was was horrendous, so I had to finish my master's degree uh, at home. And you know, I started to actually send around a few CVs uh, uh, to to different local banks and uh, and asset managers in in Geneva. And at that time. Uh, no, 98 was pretty easy actually to 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 get a job uh, in in the industry. So, so had very rapidly a few interviews and uh, without knowing started actually was was hired by UBP in 98 as a, as an intern. And uh, the idea was to kind of go around the bank because obviously I was more studying economics in econometrics, so didn't know much about real finance and how things were were um, were working in a bank. So and started straight at the hedge fund department at UBP. And at that time in 98, you know, uh, hedge funds were, you know, in, uh, and we talk about it, but were really a great asset class, you know, uh, also managers were very well known. Uh, and here I had the chance, you know, very early on to, you know, meet and had discussions and meet and, and uh, one-on-one meetings with great managers, like people like, uh, you know, Soros, Paul Tudor Jones, uh, Bruce Kovner, and so on, found it pretty exciting, uh, Pretty, um, uh, really great. So I, I, I wanted to continue in that. So I didn't turn like as I was supposed to. So stayed in the hedge fund department. Stayed there for two years. After two years, you know, it's always good to change. So I moved to a company called Unigestion. Also, um, hedge fund. No, it was like an asset manager in in Geneva. We're managing many institution money for for Nestle pension fund, for instance, uh, only in hedge funds. Um, uh, then uh, had the opportunity to move to New York for for three years with Unigestion, which was great as well, you know, being able to be there, you know, meeting managers on site and, you know, being kind of feeding the favor uh, on the, um, uh, in, in, in New York, in the U.S. about this asset class was pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. Then, you know, uh, after six years, decided to come back. Um, I wanted to, to come back in Europe and had the, the opportunity to join um, a firm called Capital Management Advisors, 
which in turn got acquired by EFG uh, back in 2006. And that's where my history with EFG started. So uh, joined, uh, uh, we literally actually practically um, were integrated within EFG in 2009 uh, after a few two, two, uh, small spell outside of EFG, uh, I came back uh, in 2012-13 and I've been with the the EFG family ever since, taking care of hedge funds and then obviously um, our coverage expanded and we had the opportunity as well within alternatives to to do more in private equity in real estate, as you all know, and uh, as you've seen also, uh, um, now my colleague also Manuel Kaiser in private equity had you know, the opportunity to talk in this, during this podcast as well uh, last year. And that's also now a very important part of the, of our activity. That's great. Thanks, Jerome. You've obviously uh, had a very interesting and colorful uh, career. Um, you know, I think, guess when you first started out with hedge funds, when you and I first crossed paths, Hedge funds at that time were, you know, the hedge fund managers were sort of masters of the financial universe, often considered the alchemists of finance, able to turn thin air into gold. And then that, that all changed. And, you know, for most of the past 10 or 15 years, actually, hedge funds have been out of favor. So, um, you, know, uh, you know, what happened? Uh, it's 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 absolutely true, and it's very interesting. Actually, you know, without boring everyone, but uh, it's always interesting to look a little bit about the history and how how that happened. Uh, as as you correctly said, in the nineties, you know, hedge funds manager were really considered as as rock stars. Uh, you know, they were. Um, Obviously, performing extremely well. Uh, you know, managers were had you no know, tremendous returns, but also they were restricted to a very small selection of clients. Uh, at that time, the barriers to entry or the barriers to invest in hedge funds were were pretty high. So, you no know, investment minimums were very steep. You no, know, like with, with below five five million, you couldn't really invest in a hedge fund. Uh, liquidity. Um, as well was was very was very hard. You know, it's not like today where you have daily weekly funds. No, at that time, you know, it was not un, uncommon to see managers or liquidity of you know prov- the, the, the the redemptions were like quarterly at best uh, with hard lockups uh, from one to five years. So it was very restricted. Um, and uh, and also at that time, you know, it was interesting because more than sixty percent of those. Of the of the assets were managed in a global macro uh, strategy. So, like people like, as I mentioned, George Soros, uh, Paul Tudor Jones, uh, Bruce Kovner at Caxton were really um, uh, dominating the industry, and uh, and were really performing extremely well, and were regarded, as you said, as kind of wizards. And actually. You know, at that time, that's that's really at that time where actually some books actually came out. Jack Schwager actually released its uh, its uh, its series of market wizards and started to interview you know those hedge fund managers, and and that's how it started. Then actually the 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 thing it's interesting to see the evolution of the history because then that uh, in the up until 2000, the detect the the the, the dot com bubble uh, when it burst, we started to see to continue to see that performance of hedge funds st- continue to be very strong. And at that time, I could this phase I would name it like it was more like a democratization of hedge funds, and and hedge funds started to be more well known, and banks, wealth managers, family offices started 
to be more interested in hedge fund strategies and wanted to find a way to expose their clients' money into those type of strategies, which were performing extremely well and providing a lot of alpha and uncorrelated type of returns to their clients. So that's where we saw the emergence of the fund fund model. And really, fund fund started really to grow in the early part of 2000. Actually, I have a statistic that I that I um, that I was able to dig out, which is super interesting. Is that from 2000 to 2007, the number of fund of fund increased by almost 10 times in a seven-year period. And at the end of 2007, 50% of the assets invested in hedge funds were done via fund of funds. So we saw that you know, a lot of money poured into the strategy at that time, but mainly via those, um, those, those, those these, these fund of funds, which actually enabled smaller man- smaller investors to access those strategies with lower minimum investments and with better uh, liquidity, uh, li- uh, liquidity con- no, with no liquidity constraints, basically providing uh, redemptions. Uh, on a monthly or quarterly basis without lockups. And that actually enabled uh, uh, those private bankers, private banks or large uh, asset managers to really create those mega fund of funds and to, and to you know, attract a lot of assets in that industry. And obviously, then that old model kind of started to get questioned uh, in 2008. Then 2008 happened. Global financial crisis. Lehman Brothers um, got uh, uh, was declared bankrupt. I think it's September 2008. Just after that, we got the Madoff um, uh, fraud was was unveiled. I think it was in December. Uh, and then and then you know the vicious start, uh, cycle uh, started. So we started to see a lot of redemptions, a lot of. You know, money from those private private clients. Um, those those private clients ask for their money back. Um, so fund of funds got a lot of redemption requests, which in turn, they requested redemption or the redemptions from the underlying funds. And it created a massive, uh, massive liquidity squeeze. And because of the embedded liquidity mismatch that we had between the fund of funds and the underlying managers, you know, we started to see funds uh, gating, suspending, and that that created this uh, this as I said this vicious cycle where where we started to see you know the creation of side pockets you know those those, those a lot of hedge funds had to be liquidated. Um, actually, another statistic which is interesting is that at the end of 2008, uh, more than thousand hedge funds started their liquid uh, uh, their liquidation process, um, and then and then at the same time we had. No, two things happening. Um, we had new regulations coming um, in order to to monitor the financial systems. We had Dodd Frank and the Volcker Rule in the US. We had the AFM directive as well as the UCITS for um, directive in the in the European Union. Um, so. The funds. It was a classical natural selection process. It was very Darwinian. Um, at that time, so the, the 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 funds that were able to to uh, stay alive and to continue their operations had to restructure in order to comply with the new regulations in order to bring and to continue their um, their operations. Um, and from a market perspective, 
uh, we got this massive coordination of all the central banks across the world pouring liquidity in the system, pushing interest rates down. And that started to create what we saw afterwards, like this you know, bull market from 2009 to, uh, uh, to almost 2019-20, where interest rates started to go down gradually and ended up anchored at zero or even at neg- in neg- negative territories that pushed equity markets uh, very high. You no know, volatility was compressed, and that created as well uh, less opportunities for real hedge fund managers. So we, I think, we got like this this combination of two things. Uh, obviously, the aftermath of the financial crisis. The fact that a lot of hedge funds and the industry had to a little bit reinvent itself, new regulations. That means that also the existing managers had to think about what type of structure they had they have to put in place in order to continue their operations and to continue to perform and to attract investors. And markets have become no had become more complicated for truly uh, active managers and hedge fund managers with interest rates at you know very very low level uh, volatility which was almost non-existent creating you know very few opportunities and that actually was we saw and we saw it you know hedge funds uh, strategies underperformed typical classical i would say long only vehicles or ETFs or beta products, um, which strived in that in that environment, and I think that's that. I think if I look at the history, I think we are now starting in a, in a, in a new phase a little bit. Actually, this new phase started a little bit in 2014-2015, where we have seen the emergence of new structures as well around hedge fund strategies. We have seen you know li- more liquid strategies being structured uh, with appropriate liquidity terms for investors. Um, we are seeing less and less, you know, liquidity mismatch either for, you know, at the fund to fund level or at the fund level. So that's also very good for end investors. And obviously the market has been a little bit better, but I think we're going to touch upon that a little bit later. But I think that's what kind of explained a little bit the uh, the disappointing performances that we've seen uh, after 2008, there was really a confluence of many things, uh, but also the consequence of what happened uh, the, de- the decade before with uh, this, uh, d- this huge amount of money coming into the industry um, where, you know, in, in vehicles where, which were not properly structured with, you know, some significant liquidity mismatch. We were just sort of Exiting from the echo phase of the global financial crisis, and that, that took a good 10 years. And then suddenly along comes COVID. And then last year, of course, we had Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the massive inflationary and geopolitical shocks associated with that, and a, you know, a really difficult market condition that was very tough for standard long only products to deal with. How did hedge funds cope in that sort of you know, very challenging environment. I would say, egoistically speaking, I think for hedge funds, it's been actually quite good. 
and and what we've seen uh, after the after covid after the invasion of russia after also the picking up of inflation obviously we've seen the market react with high volatility levels uh, a, a, a much more dispersion in returns and and actually that has created um actually interesting opportunities and a fertile ground for for some hedge fund managers and and as an example actually in 20 2022 uh, it's been actually a very good year for 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 hedge funds as a whole we did like cta's we 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 mentioned cta's for quite a bit in our outlooks back in 2020 21 obviously they performed extremely well with that high volatility 22 but not only cta's no you had also no long short equity and market neutral management managers have also performed um it's we we see the emergence the re-emergence i would say of other type of strategies like global macro or relative value which can uh, uh, go around the markets and can take advantage of that that higher volatility uh, in in uh, they can take advantage of it and actually perform much better than they've done in the past. So it's it's been much better actually um, uh, for for hedge funds as a whole over the last two three years. So I, I would certainly agree with you, Jerome, that the uh, yeah, the environment of the past few years it's been more volatile and more difficult for you know standard products, but that perhaps creates a um, more interesting environment for many hedge funds. So against that, you know, that background, sort of brave new world that we're living in, um, higher rates, higher inflation, more cross-sectional volatility, um, you know, what, you know, where do you see the opportunities within hedge fund now? What sort of styles are you emphasizing and de-emphasizing? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. Actually, also like it's a question we we ask ourselves in the team um, every every week. Uh, we actually challenge challenge ourselves you know, with Alex and Oscar. Uh, obviously, they both are responsible for different set of strategies. But I think first, what we try to avoid, uh, uh, we try to avoid you no. Know, pure short volatility strategies. We try to avoid also strategies which are a little bit more opaque, where you know you can't really identify the risks you can be exposed to, like trade finance or or other you know asset backed securities where it's much more difficult to identify what would be the impact of higher rates or higher inflation into their strategy because they are they are complex and the way they structure trades are too complex. And I think I don't want to take those type of risks. We like risks that are transparent. We know the type of risk we want to take. So that's why we do prefer, you know, at the moment strategies like, you know, long short equity or market neutral strategies with a clear um, uh, identified alpha in terms of their stock selection process. And as you said, you know, because we see more dispersion between asset classes, but also within an asset class, you know, that creates a good a good environment for those strategies. Uh, we like as well relative value strategies. Um, we have been more um, positive on long short credit uh, very recently, actually last year. Uh, we haven't been invested in that strategy for the, la- the, the previous 10 years because uh, I think the opportunity was not there. Uh, with higher volatility as well, more dispersion, we see also more default and more um, uh, more differentiation within credit. I think long short credit managers can do well. Um, distressed as well is something we look at. Uh, I think it's still early for classical and pure distressed managers, but we're looking at 
at it. We are going to, or we are onboarding as we speak, a few managers active in distressed. Um, but those are the type of strategies we like. And obviously CTAs, CTAs, it's hard to time. Um, we don't like to time them, but I do believe that you know, we should always have some CTAs in the in the portfolio because of their truly uncorrelated nature. Um, and I think that's uh, that's uh, those are the yeah th- that's very important to have, and that's those are the main strategies we we consider at the moment. And, and what do you think are the main risks to um, to hedge funds over the next few years? I mean, for example, you know, if inflation were to suddenly resurface again, or you know you know, with the bounce back again, or, you know, if we were to see a, a deeper than expected recession, how would you expect the hedge fund world to react yeah. to that? Yeah. In, in terms of risks, it's, uh, it's, um, I, I don't, I don't believe, and I think I can speak for, for the team here. We, we don't believe that no unexpected higher inflation or interest rate will is a main risk for hedge fund strategies because I think that creates opportunities for certain strategies. And obviously they will also be volatile themselves, but at the end of the day, it's it's actually a better global general environment for them. Uh, but in order, because hedge fund managers, you always need to, it's it's funny as well, because when we meet managers, they all, and, and you know that, you know that as well, because I know that you met a lot of those managers as well in the past, but they all have a bearish bias anyway. They, they all tend to have a bearish bias. So, you know, an unexp- if, if something bad happens, if there's an unexpected event, they will really be able to adapt their, por- their portfolio quickly and to take advantage of it. So I'm not very worried about that. But in order to do it and to do it properly, they need liquidity. So maybe if there's a risk which I can identify is maybe liquidity risk. Uh, if there's a, if if an event can create a big liquidity squeeze in different market, that can that can be a risk for some hedge fund managers. Um, but the, yeah, maybe liquidity would be the one that I would identify as the the main one as of today. You know, you, you mentioned earlier in your description of the global financial crisis. You you just mentioned briefly Lehman Brothers in passing, and there's been sort of certain bad memories dredged up recently with uh, problems in the U.S. regional banking sector and also obviously problems here in Switzerland. You know, do you think there's a risk of uh, you know, widespread problems? Is there a risk of the repeat of 2008-9? And you know, uh, how would that uh, affect the world of hedge funds? I, 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 don't, I don't see that as a major risk, uh, to be honest. Um, uh, and, and I think also for us, if I look at the managers in which we are invested and even other managers uh, across the industry, uh, there hasn't been much impact of that, uh, of you know, the, the, this, this banking crisis or the fact that you know, some of the US banks have struggled and, and the Credit Suisse UBS uh, issues. Um, that, hasn't been, that hasn't been a big thing. Uh, I think managers have gone through it relatively well and, and untouched. Um, with the exception, obviously, of hedge fund managers that are purely active in financials. You have some purely financials, long short equity managers who have, or credit managers who have struggled. Um, but actually, we, we, for us, it hasn't been, we haven't been impacted because first, we don't like sector specific funds. Uh, and we don't invest in sector specific funds. And actually, for good reason, because I think there's an, uh, uh, an embedded beta 
in those uh, in those sector specific funds which we don't want to have we don't want to be exposed to to that type of of risk or or beta so that's why we don't have uh, we haven't been invested in some pure financial funds um, and rightly so uh, but globally it hasn't it doesn't it hasn't impacted us so much to be honest so another hot topic at the moment is um, is ai obviously um a lot of the surge in markets this year has been associated with the narrative of um, of AI. Uh, how are hedge funds playing this? You know, both in terms of investing in that as a theme, but also in terms of using AI to help generate returns. Yeah, uh, again, also like an interesting topic, and I think here it's pretty interesting. I here to 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 answer straight the, the 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 question um not a lot of hedge funds i i've seen or that we are uh invested in are playing ai as a theme in terms on the long or short side however from a investment process perspective they can use um uh, uh, satellite imagery they can use language process processing uh, models in order to read um, mana- um, uh, equi- uh, company reports or 13D reports, etc. And they use that in their investment process to invest in traditional asset classes. And I think in a lot of those systematic managers are now using artificial intelligence and machine learning into their investment process, more and more so. Um, clearly, they st- continue to use traditional techniques like they've always done, but you know, with um, their, the, 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 those new models and with this, those new alternative data that are that become available more and more, you know, they have been able to use it extensively and are continuing to do so, and relatively and successfully so as well. Uh, to be honest, uh, it's been a, it's been a new a new source of alpha for a lot of those managers. Yeah, and I'm sure you know, as ever, with these things, some of that innovation will ultimately just spill over into the long only space and just become part of uh, part of mainstream investing. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, something else that. Um, seems perennially to be at the top of investors' minds is China and its impact on markets. Um, you know, how do you see that impacting hedge funds, whether as, you know, as a place to invest, whether it's you know, to do with the Chinese property market or geopolitics? What do you think are the implications of China in hedge fund land? Yeah, China and emerging market actually is, a, is, is actually a, a good question and actually an interesting topic as well because broadly... I think it is genuinely wrong to play such a macro theme via hedge funds. Um, because with hedge funds, and especially in, in, these, um, in, these, in these regions, uh, and I put emerging market and China together, it's all about bottom-up skills and manager selection. Um, and I give you a, a good example. You know, we have two managers on our list um, today, and in which we are invested that are active in emerging market, frontier market, and and China. And actually, this year, despite equity markets in those regions being very difficult and the environment being difficult, they've done very well because we have identified the fact that they are really they have some value added in their investment process, in their stock selection, and their bottom-up stock selection. And I think this is fully part of our due diligence process where we can identify that type of skills. 
And here, I think for EM as a whole, it's really all about those stock picking skills and not about the macro theme. So, so I th- we cannot really play the macro theme via those managers because they're really trying to find idiosyncratic elements and opportunities and not playing the market, if you see what I mean. They're not really, they, they're absolutely not a beta play. So for people who want to play China or emerging market as a general theme, it's better to go long only or via ETFs. If you want to have, take advantage of some of the idiosyncratic opportunities that we can find there, we can provide some solutions. But playing that with hedge funds, I think it's it's not it's it's wrong uh, and and actually it it will it will never work because you will always be disappointed so i'm not clearly answering directly your question about no if china or, or impacts in, impacts us at all, uh, at all it does you know the also the the you know uh, real estate situation there does impact us but more from a from a, again a bottom up or, or stock selection perspective and that's where we try to find the uh, what manager which manager can take advantage of it and which you no know, will not and which we should avoid so it's kind of a, it's kind of a, uh, that way that we're looking at it so so we don't play in, we don't want to play china as a, as a as a beta play and we try to avoid it because obviously then we would be wrong anyway so and that's not what we what we intend to to do so, so you mentioned just fleetingly there real estate, and of course that's a whole other investment class, alternative investment class in its own right. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on the outlook for the real estate sector? You know, a bit, bit more challenging, higher rates, higher cost of yeah. borrowing, and so forth. Yeah, no, it's 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 been it's been a challenging uh, sector and segment. Um, so so clearly the 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 things that we avoid. Uh, uh, and I'm sure that Yaroslav, who is dedicated to real estate in, in our team, will agree with me. We, we've, and we've mentioned it in, in different, uh, calls or WebEx in the, in the recent past. Whatever is linked to development, value add, uh, along with commercial real estate are really for us the sectors to avoid. Um, and now we do focus more on core, core plus residential, uh, type of segment. Um, obviously, ideally with high occupancy rates and especially with rents that, that are linked to inflation. And that actually can bring you know, high yielding generation, generating um, uh, returns and a good hedge towards higher inflation. So that would be you know, the thing we would focus on. And obviously also the thing that a lot of managers and funds have looked at I've been looking at recently uh, since logistics and or last mile storage, uh, as we all know, um, are very inter- are interesting part of the of the real estate markets, definitely. And uh, and there are there are good opportunities there. So I, I guess we could do a whole podcast on real estate itself. Yeah, yeah exactly. We, we don't really have time. We don't really have time either to talk in detail about the private equity space. But perhaps you could just. Uh, give us a few comments on your thoughts on not much private equity, but investing in private assets. Uh, you know, pr- private equity again as well. It's a very large topic. Obviously, uh, uh, a sector in which we have been much more uh, involved over the last four or five years. Um, uh, a lot of people think that you know a lot of money has been really uh, 
poured into that space over the past decade. And and it is true. Um, and maybe I'm thinking if there if there are still opportunities there. Uh, but we should all remember, and I think here also I'm a bit paraphrasing what Manuel mentioned in its when he did that post that that the same podcast with the most only dedicated to private equity. But if you look at the number of privately owned companies um, uh, and their size, it really outperforms public markets by a wide margin. As of the end of 22, public equity, public equity market capitalization represented less than 8% of private equity net asset values. So that means that the opportunity set is much larger in private equity than in public markets. And that trend will continue because companies are staying private longer than before because it's harder to do the IPO, the, the, there are more legal works, it's more complicated. And, uh, and, the, and what we've seen is the, the growth, the value creation is now really taking place when the company is private. So, uh, so, and and then they getting they do the IPO if they do the IPO afterwards. So there are a lot of opportunities, and I still do believe that there are a lot of opportunities. But that being said, if we look at the the segment which are the most attractive at the moment, uh, I think the, uh, the mid market buyouts are interesting. Uh, there's a lot of money chasing large large deals by those you know the Blackstones, Carlyle, KKR of that world, where you know valuation can be uh, can can go very high fast. Uh, but in the mid market segment, there are still a lot of opportunities. That's where you know we like to to fish for our managers, for instance. Obviously, secondaries is very important, and private debt. So clearly, those are the sub-segments where I th- we tend to believe that there are a lot of opportunities currently, and that's obviously where we are more active at the moment, uh, especially with Ceres number two, and well, one as well, but two uh, where we have we have overweight allocations to those sub-sectors. So I, st- I still do believe that going forward, private equity is really a, uh, an, an interesting thing to look at. Within alternative, it's a, it's generally a, a, an interesting part of, should be, should be a part of a portfolio for, for, for a client or for an investor. Well, look, it's a, it's a fascinating subject in and of itself. The whole world of alternatives is, is really interesting. So thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Perhaps before we sign off, you could just share your words of advice and your wisdom to anybody looking to start out in their career in alternatives and, and in particular on hedge funds at the moment. Well, you know, it's uh, it's I I I do believe it's a uh, it's it's a very interesting area, definitely. Uh, uh, I've been I've been active in hedge funds and alternative as you know since the beginning, uh, since 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 nineteen ninety eight, and I think uh, if if I had to start now, uh, maybe if I would say I, I wouldn't have done stuff much differently, but maybe trying to find you know a place or uh, some kind of a, a, a training or something in with a manager first is actually quite interesting uh, be it in private equity or in hedge funds um, and then depend and then because you have a lot of different ways to 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 be active in in alternatives you can be either a trader an analyst or an allocator like we are 
um, depending of what you want to do and what the, the person wants to do and what's their their what's in is in their DNA. But you need to find it. Uh, for instance, I did also like a few a few time into a, into hedge funds. I. I, I I realized quickly that I'm not a trader. You know, it's not my DNA. I don't like to to trade stocks and to to bet on that. But I love to understand what managers are doing and and allocating with different strategies. So that's that's when why that's why I continue the career in that direction. Um, but I would I would really advise you know, someone who goes out of college or university, you know, to, to think about really what he wants to do. Uh, does he want to be involved in, in real estate, in private equity, in hedge funds, or does he want to allocate into it um, to understand the opportunities and then you know, find its, its way into that, uh, that jungle, which is a, still a little bit of a jungle, which is also something which is interesting. It's a little bit uh, also out of the, you know, out of the, the ordinary uh, type, of, uh, type of work, which is quite good. Jerome, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on hedge funds and alternatives more broadly. It really is, a, 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 I find, a hugely interesting part of the market. So, so thank you for joining us today. I'm Daniel Murray. This has been Beyond the Benchmark. Thank you very much for listening. And if you have any further questions on anything you've heard today or anything else, please contact your EFG representative. Thank you.